G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. It's being described as something of a major coup that Professor Rick Watts, a highly regarded Bible scholar, is returning to Australia. He's joining Alpha Crucis College as Professor of Biblical Studies and up until just recently, He was Professor of New Testament at Regent College in Vancouver in Canada. Now, that's a college with a very high reputation. He's renowned as having an extraordinary ability both in the area of biblical studies and cultural analysis. And he's also, interestingly, and I'm not sure we'll get to talk about all of his other pursuits, but here's this one, trained as an aeronautical engineer and has degrees in philosophy, art history, and sociology. He's going to be doing quite an extensive tour across capital cities this coming week. And this morning, we've got Professor Rick Watts in Perth. So, Professor Rick Watts, welcome along to 2020. Well, thank you so much, Neil. Actually, uh, Rick will do. Don't worry about the professor bit. Well, I think Professor uh, describes the level of uh, reputation that you've held in the positions that you've had in earlier times. Uh, I'll call you Rick, and listeners, when, when they call through, they'll be they'll be comfortable to call you Rick, no doubt, as well. That's but very kind of you. Thanks, mate. Let's talk a little about this transition at Regent College in Canada, and now you're back to Australia, Alpha Crucius College in Australia. Uh, any particular stories around the transition? Well, yeah, a lot of things, actually. I have to say, first off, that the region experience was just exceptional. Uh, I really don't know of any school like it. And I was blessed to be there when they had the original team, including people like uh, Gordon Fee, Jim Houston, J.I. Packer, Eugene Peterson, a range of others, Bruce Walkey, Lauren Wilkinson, etc. And at the same time, the second generation was coming in, people like Ian Proven and John Stackhouse and... Uh, Paul and Sarah Williams. Paul now heads up the Bible Society in the UK. So a tremendously rich experience. I think for me it was uh, evangelicalism at its best. You can understand that word these days has come into some disrepute. But I think actually from the longer perspective, uh, it's a wonderful tradition to be a part of. So Regent for me was orthodox, but with this wonderful broadness of mind where the gospel was as big as creation uh, the people who taught there were marked by massive learning, eclectic in the best sense, and I think most exciting of all, a deep devotion to Jesus and commitment to the church. So forever grateful for that was really good. Uh, but as you know, everything changes, and all human institutions, being human, they make choices. Uh, a number of my good friends retired. A number of the folks with whom I was working on some, I think, exciting projects uh, for various reasons were let go. And there were some changes in direction and emphases. And my wife and I, that's Katie, Katie and I felt it was probably time for us to think about moving on. And that's when Alpha Christmas appeared. 
And Rick, you're coming back to Australia and Alpha Crucis has just in this past few months had a uh, an, an interesting merger too with the Harvest Bible College. So Alpha Crucis uh, with the, the overall banner over the top of what is quite a substantial college and with campuses uh, in capital cities right around the country. Yeah, that's true actually. Um, so my sister and her husband attended the school when it was up in Katoomba and I have to say uh, to all the people who have been working at Alpha Christmas over the years they've done an amazing job you look back and see just how far they've come and I I had this strong sense of others having worked very hard and here I am enjoying their harvest some of my younger colleagues are simply fabulous I think my earnest prayer is I don't mess them up too much uh, but at the same time, from an international perspective, I think we've got uh, a ways to go yet to attain to world best practice, but that's the goal. Uh, the college is young, it's vibrant, which means it's nimble. Uh, being Pentecostal, it's a bit more pragmatic in the best sense, I think. And I have to say, too, that staff-wise, in this last year, I've just been astonished at the number of front-ranked people joining the college, actually from the breadth of the Christian church, which is great. Uh, and the reason they're coming, they tell me, is because they sense that something very special is unfolding, and um, I happen to think they're right. Well, you're bringing with you uh, from your days at Regent, and of course there's a, a long history of your capacity as a, a scholar and as a Bible teacher, but you're renowned to have a capacity for cultural analysis now, when people think about when people think about Bible college, uh, sometimes they think, "Oh, they're learning a lot of things about the New Testament and about the Old Testament, and uh, spending a lot right. of time memorizing Scripture." Well, of course, uh, there's some deeper things that happen, of course, in a Bible college environment. And bringing mm-hmm. with you a reputation for cultural analysis uh, brings this connection of where the faith of future leaders is in engagement with the society that they are going into to minister. What's the importance, you think, for people who are training theologically uh, to actually have a capacity to be able to analyse the culture around them? Well, I think it's critical. and uh, There are a couple of points here. Uh, we talk about biblical studies, but one of the really, I think, fascinating things about the Scriptures is they're deeply culturally embedded. So when one reads the early chapters of Genesis, the book of Exodus, etc., against the background of the culture, you realize just what an astonishing book this is. So, for example, uh, in the ancient world, everyone believed that creation was in some sense divine. Right? Uh, Genesis comes along and actually says, no, it's not. Right? God is not creation. Uh, most of their pictures of God are based on either forms of human beings or forms of animals. And Genesis says, actually, no, God is not like you. He's not like a human, and he's not like an animal. He's who he is. But at the same time, he's deeply interested in human beings, which is something that the ancient gods weren't really concerned about. So right back there at the very beginning, you get this massive change in the way the Bible sees the world, and I would argue, and if we have time we can talk about it, what it really did was lay the foundations for for modernity. And you see the same thing going on in the first century. If you know a bit about what the Hellenistic world was like, it really didn't like change. It was much more concerned about maintaining the status quo. When they talked about justice, it wasn't giving everyone equal standing. It was about maintaining the social structures of the day. And it's really the gospel that broke that open and changed that world. 
So I think all we're really trying to do is regain what the Bible itself was on about. The notion of doing theology without talking about culture, I think, is just foreign to the biblical mindset. And part of that history is, and this where it gets a little more provocative, uh, theology is not actually our Christian word, believe it or not, right? So I know that might get some people a bit concerned. But it was around several centuries before us, and it was really the term the Greeks used to talk about the rationality of divinity. Uh, that's all to do with, you know, uh, logical thought, necessary reason. And when they did that, they didn't care about culture. They didn't care about history. And the reason for that was, uh, if something's true, it can't change. So if it changes, it's not true. And they thought, if it's not true, it's not real. So anything to do with culture, which changes, and history, which also changes, you don't look at those things to find the truth. And to the extent that Christian thinking about God has been influenced by that, it tends to want to ignore culture and history and look for these eternal, unchanging truths. Now, there are things that don't change about God. He's faithful, he's loving, he's merciful, he's all of those things. But if you look in the scriptures, he's always engaging with human culture. That's part of the project. So I think that's all we're trying to do, and that's what Regent really helped me see, actually. Separation between theology and culture is not really a Christian notion, I don't think. It comes from a different world. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Professor Rick Watts is our guest, highly regarded Bible scholar returning to Australia. He's joining Alpha Crucius College as Professor of Biblical Studies. Of course, there are campuses for Alpha Crucius right around Australia in capital cities. The website is ac.edu.au. In fact, for those listeners in WA, Rick is going to be in Perth, Today, 3 p.m. this afternoon at the uh, Suite 3642 Albany Highway, Victoria Park. Uh, you'll be able to go along and see him speaking there. I'll talk about some other engagements as we go. Uh, Rick, as we talk about the sorts of ways that we engage with culture and looking back to the history of the Christian church, uh, right back to the first century, and the way that history has been developed and the way that it has transitioned from change to change in that time, you see the gospel as having played a huge role in the way that things have developed in this modern world. You used a word called modernity just a little earlier. Why don't you uh, give us a, a little bit of an idea what you mean by the gospel and the way that it has has shaped our modern life. Absolutely. So um, interesting you should ask this, by the way. I was in the UK just recently and uh, with the Bible Society. They were shooting a film out in Wales. It's about two hours' drive from where I was staying. They said to me, would you like to go? Sure. So they arranged for somebody to pick me up. And uh, the guy who was driving the car was a retired IT consultant with British Aerospace. So chap of some substance in that regard. We got chatting and talked about what he did, and he opened up about his life and whatever. And about 20 minutes later, he said, so what do you do? And I said, well, I'm interested in uh, the whole notion of the Bible, theology, and design. And he looked at me as I was talking about, you know, fried ice or something. And uh, he stopped for a second and said, well, yeah, I just need to let you know, I'm an atheist. I think religions cause most of the trouble in the world, and you Christians are the worst. He said, I'm not trying to have a fight, I'm just telling you. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) And uh, and I said to him, yeah, look, fair enough. Christians have behaved badly, I get that. Uh, But, you know, I think there are some other things to be said. And he said, well, okay, off you go. So I talked for about 15 minutes, and I said, look, I don't want to keep rattling on about this. 
There are other things. He said, no, no, let's keep talking. Neil, we talked for three hours. He was asking me all these questions. He's an engineer, uh, IT guy, so he knows about modernity. At the end of it, uh, he got out of the car, came around and shook my hand, and he said, mate, you have fried my brain. <laughs> he said, I never realized that this was going on. And then this atheist guy, self-confessed atheist, said to me, you have to make a documentary. People need to hear this. Uh, second story, just very quickly. Two days later, I'm on the train from Eastern Station in London to Birmingham New Street. Um, it's a commuter train. I get on the train. This guy's got his breakfast. I don't. So we start talking about coffee and then a bit of a lament about the state of English coffee. Sorry about that, Brits. But um, turns out he's Italian. So we're talking about Italian cheeses, wonderful Italian food, etc., etc. The train starts to fill up and we get to work. His, to, uh, his work, I don't mind. Uh, and then about half an hour in Birmingham, he looks across and says to me, so do you work for a humanitarian society? I'm thinking, where did that come from? <laughs> Yep. And then I notice underneath one of the books on my table is a spine that says Christian humanism. And I'm thinking, well, thinking, how do I respond to this? I said, well, actually, what I do is I go to China regularly and I teach in their major universities and they've asked me to come and teach about the Bible, which kind of, you know, his eyes are opening up. He said, what, China? I said, yes. He said, well, why do they want to do that? And I said, because they realize that actually Christianity is what drove modernity. Well, he said, you've got to tell me more about this. So, you know, I try to keep my voice down. The train's filled up by now. But there's a woman sitting next to him. And I noticed after we'd been chatting for a bit, she hasn't turned a page in 10 minutes. Right? Yep. So she just puts the book down and starts listening. And, and basically, it had to do with this. No one in the ancient world liked change. No one. Right? Yep. Change was the problem. Why? Because if it changed, it couldn't be true. Now, you think about the modern world. What do we talk about all the time? Transformation, innovation, creativity. No one uses that language in Egypt, in the time of Moses, or in the New Testament, the time of Paul. Paul is the first person to use the word transformation in the sense of a world that's different, genuinely and radically different. So the modern world's emphasis on design and creativity, that actually comes only from the gospel. It really comes from nowhere else. Now, once you start doing that, when you realize actually that change is the gift, you can't predict what's going to happen. So that means you can't learn about the world through the kind of reason philosophy the Greeks did. You have to learn about it by looking and seeing and testing. And go back and read Exodus. That's exactly what God says. God doesn't say to the Jewish people, Sit down and think big thoughts about me. He says to them, I am who I am, which I think means you don't know, so don't guess. Instead, you look, you learn, you listen, and I will test you and you can see if I'm going to be faithful. Well, Neil, that's actually the basis of modern science. Modern science is done not on the basis of what we think is true about the world, but what we learn is true by looking at it. Uh, in the ancient world, things were pretty static, right? There really wasn't much hope of moving up or down the social structure. Some people did, but it wasn't very common. Dynamic cities where everyone can have a different future, that comes directly out of the gospel. That's Paul's view of the body where Christ is the head and everything else is gift, right? It's not fixed. In the modern world, we talk about the idea of, of taking or treating everyone with dignity, regardless of their gender and their race. That only comes from the gospel. No one was really talking about that in the first century. There was one guy, but he didn't really get listened to. But generally, that's a Christian innovation. 
Think about the recent marriage debate. What was the word that kept on coming up? Love, right? No one would talk about love in this way in the ancient world. It's really Christians who said that love matters and that compassion matters. So in all of those levels, and I've not talked about anyone being saved from their sins or anything like that, in those fundamental levels that actually underlie the modern West and modern China, they only come from the gospel. And when you get to tell people this, it's just they're astonished and their response is, tell me more. So when I talk about kind of cultural and engagement, that's the kind of thing I'm after. I'd really like people to realize that the Bible is not some limited book. It's not just the church's book. It's a book that's designed to change the world. And if we can help people to read that in its setting, it's not that the gospel's lost its power. I'm utterly convinced it hasn't. If I can say this without sounding um, arrogant, I don't mean to. I think the problem is many of us have just lost uh, a a grasp of how broad and vast and deep the transformative power of the gospel is. Okay, the Bible is full of broad and vast and deep. You can contribute to our conversation. Our talkback line's open just a couple of minutes out from news, but let's take a call from Steve in Parks in New South Wales. Hello, Steve. Welcome along. Yeah, g'day. Uh, g'day, Professor Rick and Brother Neil. Look, these cultural wars, as you stated, I believe they've been going on for thousands of years, and there's no end to them. One would hope that the international criminal courts would be able to settle these disputes, but it's proving ineffective. But uh, I believe the driving politics, even to this very day, is godless communism. And what I want to ask you is, Professor Rick, is do you believe that America, Britain, Australia and France should all become godless communist republics? And that's what's driving these problems. Okay, Steve, uh, a one-minute a one-minute response because we're heading up to news. But your thoughts for Steve, Rick? Well, yeah, ironically, um, the emphasis on materialism in some ways actually comes from the gospel because in the Greek world, matter didn't matter, and it's really the creation story that says it does. Right? Um, but I think it's a lot more complex than that. Actually, I. It's hard to answer in one minute, but I I don't know that I would simply attribute it to godless communism. Sometimes it's because Christians have behaved very badly. The people have decided we don't really want much to do with the gospel. But I would encourage you in saying this, that when the early church began, it didn't have access to the kind of power, resources, political influence that we do, and it still managed to change the world. So maybe we ought to be looking at how they did it. That might be the answer rather than necessarily starting with trying to diagnose the problem. Thank you so much to Steve from Parks, and we'll be taking some more calls in the next hour after Vision National News. You might like to join in our conversation on 1-800-316-316. You can also leave a comment on the Vision Facebook page too. Rick, I mentioned that you are speaking this afternoon in Perth at 3 mm-hmm. o'clock, Suite 3, 642 Albany Highway, Victoria Park. And uh, people are welcome along to hear you speak this afternoon. Uh, Also, on Wednesday, you're speaking to an audience in Hobart, a public forum at Alpha Crucius Hobart Campus. That's at 45 Melville Street in Hobart. And you're talking about a particular topic there, Christianity in the 21st century, the most Christian and the most confusing. Before we take another call, let's talk about that confusion for a few moments because uh, you're starting to dispel that in some of these stories you're telling. But a lot of people, and including people within the church, are very confused about Christianity in the 21st century. How do you describe that confusion? 
Well, um, I think that comes from a whole range of sources. Primarily, it comes down to, because it's a complex issue, so I'm not sure there's just a single silver bullet that will deal with this. But we've already touched on some of these issues. I think part of it has been talking about the Christian faith in a way that kind of floats above culture, as though somehow it's not really about changing history, and that doesn't help us. I think probably, too, um, I think some, it's hard for me to say this, but I do think sometimes Christians tend to miss the point of what this is on about. So um, how do I say this without being too provocative? Look, it's absolutely clear that Jesus came to save us from our sins, and I'm deeply, deeply committed to that. It's really important. But what happens afterwards? What happens next? And one of the great themes of the New Testament is that's what the coming of the Holy Spirit is all about. And in John's Gospel, when this promise of the Comforter is being unpacked, it's all about eternal life. That's the real focus of this. And by eternal life, it means actually this unceasing, flourishing life of God in us. Now, I'm really grateful for my Christian upbringing, but I never under, really understood that being Christian was about bringing a flourishing life to the world and to others. It was more, more structured in terms of don't sin, you do this, you'll feel guilty, etc., etc. And that's all true. I mean, if you do those things, you will feel guilty, you will be alienated from God. But it's bigger than that. Once you've dealt with that, where do you go next? So I think I want to say to people, uh, maybe one of the reasons, and when I talk to people, this is the feedback I get, maybe one of the reasons why folks no longer are interested in Christianity is because they no longer find life with us. Hmm. Christians are not known for being creative. We're not known for being people who are actually interested in thinking about new things. Uh, we often come across as closing in, narrow, and I do understand that we've got to, you know, we need to be faithful to God's character. We need to reflect his character. I get that. But he's a creator. So it seems to me that in my conversations when I talk to non-Christians about what I think the gospel is about, there's tremendous interest in this. So I'm just to repeat what I said earlier, that... Um, I really don't think the gospel's lost its power. I think what we've lost is just how big the gospel is. And that's where the confusion comes in. So for the non-Christian, I don't think they realize that the world in which they play is actually a world that God gave them through the gospel. I just don't think they've got that. Okay. I think actually many Christians don't get that either. Yes, come on in, by hmm. all means. Uh, let's take some calls. Uh, we've had some sure. people waiting patiently. Let's hear oh. from Ryder, uh, who is in Brisbane. Hello, Ryder. Welcome along. Ryder, are you with us? Okay, Ryder, you might have to call us back. 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Robin in Mount Morgan in Queensland. Hello, Robin. Yes, hello. Um, Rick, you sound like a fantastic... Um, I- I'd love to hear what you have to say. Um in a big very kind of you. Thank but, you. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know, like we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But mm-hmm. He has. There are even in the Bible there are different dispensations, and it, it seems that whenever cultures become calcitrant, I think that's the word, isn't it? When they're stuck in concrete, yep. um, mm-hmm. God moves someone to challenge the status quo, like to reintroduce new life. It's still God's truth. It's truth. Mm-hmm. But it's, he, he coats it in a different way to the religious institutions. And um, like about 20 years ago or more, I, I came to a decision. I, I was getting so um, cornered and I decided to throw everything out that I'd 
been taught in churches, and I mean, a lot of the a lot of them are innuendos. They're not so much laws, but you know, they're sort of. And um, mm-hmm. I, I challenged the Lord. I, I said, Lord, from now on, I'm throwing everything out, and I'm going to challenge the boundaries. And I want you to lead me, you to guide me. And I'm an avid reader of the Bible, and it, I tell you, it is fresh every day. And Great. It, it Robin, good thoughts in there. Let's hear from Rick. Rick, your thoughts for Robin on, uh, on the way that she's approaching the Bible and uh, even on the idea of throwing a lot of things out. Uh, well, you know, we, churches are human institutions, which means they're a mix of things. And if you read Israel's story, you even see them in the New Testament. Uh, things get mixed. Um, there are other agendas that get involved, people's desire for power. Uh, folks love to be in control. So, yes, I do understand that we need to keep going back and rethinking. I think the reformers used to say that reformed and always reforming. So, yeah, I, w- I want to affirm that. I think I want to say, too, it's always good to be part of a body of Christians because uh, sometimes what can happen when we're reading is we actually read into the text things that might not be there. And it's always great to have people around you who can say, well, actually, is that really what's going on? You know, you maybe not just importing your own thing at this point. So, uh, yeah, it- it's good to be open to change and to realize that human institutions can get stuck in their ways. At the same time, as Robin said, it's true that God remains faithful and we want to hang on to that. So it's that tension between being part of a community and at the same time being open to change and new things. Thank you so much to Robin. And our talkback line remains open. 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join in our conversation today. You might have a question. You might like to ask our special guest. Rick, you're going to also be speaking in Brisbane this coming weekend on Saturday the 10th of February. And uh, when you talk about being provocative, uh, you've got a pro- provocative conversation uh, that you'll be introducing in that particular gathering, uh, taking people on a journey to, as uh, as described, rid ourselves of the prison of religious language and open up a broader, more accessible and more comprehensive vocabulary to both explore and express the wonders of God and his working. Have we been talking about God the wrong way for a while and now there's some need for change? Well, I, I know, uh, Neil, this sounds like a terribly arrogant and preposterous statement to make. Uh, of course, I'm not really the first to say that. I think people throughout history at points have said, you know, we need to start rethinking things. Wesley, uh, the reformers have already mentioned them. But uh, maybe one place to begin is uh, the realisation that as far as I can tell, and from talking to people who are specialists in the field, no one in the first century thought that Christianity was a religion. It just didn't look like one. In fact, it was known as the uh, way, wasn't it? The way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think some of the best language is a chap called Cavan, Cavan Rowe, not with an E, but with an A. He wrote a book called World Upside Down. It's a study of the book of Acts. And he asked himself the question, why was it that wherever those early Christians go, they get into trouble? And his point was, it wasn't that they were simply making cosmetic changes to the structure of the ancient world. They were actually turning it upside down. What the gospel was designed to do was really to unpick antiquity and to create a place where God's life could flourish. And he uses the language grammar of life. I think in some ways that's much more helpful, right? As Christians, we're buying into a grammar of life. It's a way of life. It's how you live. Uh, It's not just, as many people would perceive, a religion that you practice on a Sunday. And that's what I've been getting at when I talk about seeing change as a good thing or 
knowing the world through how you see it, through what you see in here and how you test it. That's a manner of life. It's not just religious language. It's much, much bigger. So I'm not against religious terms, and I'm not trying to attack religion. That's not my goal. It's simply a way of saying, folks, look, it's actually much, much bigger, and religious language can't cope for how big this is. I think that's what Jesus was getting at when he talked about this wine in new wineskins. This is a huge thing that's being opened up. And the final comment I'd make, too, is that um, you know, we're all part of a history and a culture, and we have to ask ourselves, when people hear the word Christian, what do they think of? And uh, it, it's unfortunate that a lot of the connotations of Christianity in our modern world are actually not good ones. So even to have a conversation now, you've got to find, I think, new ways to speak about who God is, just to try and you know, get around some of those roadblocks when people hear words like Christian just immediately shut down. Oh, we know what you are. You're bigoted. You're blind. You're not interested in learning. Uh, well, actually, that's not what the gospel's about, but we have to find a way to share that. And maybe that involves using some new language. Rick, you're on a transition and uh, coming to us back to Australia from a stint at Regent College in Canada. Now, we know that Canada for the past decade has been way ahead of where Australia is on what we'd call a progressive left-leaning agenda. And uh, I guess this engagement with politics is always important because as you talk about the diminishing reputation of the Christian church, it's come with the rise of a uh, left-leaning agenda uh, in Canada. As you're coming from Canada into an Australian setting, what sort of comparison can you make between uh, the two different cultures and uh, and how Christianity Uh is is uh, flourishing in Canada and flourishing here? Well, uh, it's a really interesting question. Um, let me just step back a bit. I studied in Boston for a number of years back in the 80s. And uh, when I got back to Australia, I was approached by an editor to write an article on the American church. And I had to try and find a, a kind way of saying this, saying, well, actually, first of all, you do know there isn't a single United States. It's really almost like 12 or 13 different countries under the one head. And there certainly isn't a single the American church, right? It's a really complex and variegated thing. And it's like that in Canada. It's really hard to speak of the Canadian church because it's often so varied. So uh, anything I'm going to say about this is, and and I should also add that I haven't visited the majority of churches in Canada. So it's very hard to speak about things that you don't know. So on the one hand, I think that you do find... um, in Canada and Australia and in the West generally, a movement away from what we would regard as traditional Christian values. Uh, And there are all kinds of reasons for that, but one I've already intimated, I think it's partly our fault, actually. Uh, I think we've got into ways of talking about the gospel that are not actually very helpful. And at the same time, you need to know I'm quite orthodox, right? I really do hold to traditional Christian values in sexuality, all those kinds of things. But there are ways of talking about that bring life rather than something else. So, yes, these are issues we're facing. Um, I know the Trinity uh, University in uh, British Columbia is right now involved uh, in a hearing in the uh, Supreme Court of Canada as to whether uh, the graduates from their law school will be accepted in, uh, by legal institutions across the provinces. And in situations like that, you have to make a case as um, warmly and as winsomely and as powerfully and as clearly as you can. But we live in a democracy, and uh, 
people will make their decision, and we have to learn what it means to look like Jesus in whatever situation we find ourselves. And I simply would again encourage us, if you go back and look at the first century and see where those early Christians began, right? uh, we've won a battle that they were still fighting. Our culture is fundamentally Christian, even if it won't admit it. Those early Christians had to actually bring about that change. So in some ways, we're much further ahead than they are. So I want to encourage people. It's easy to feel confused. It's easy to feel alarmed. But again, based on my you know, anecdotal personal experience, when people begin to hear what I think the gospel is really talking about, there's a much warmer response to it. So I just want to encourage you, I think, in that sense. Uh, the similarities I'd notice would be we are feeling the pressure. We're feeling a little nervous about that, frightened even some of us. But let's not forget the incredible transforming power of the gospel, and it's already proved it can do that. There's no reason why it can't do it again. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. Well, who knew we would be talking about a new grammar of life, the way we use a vocabulary to explore and express the wonders of our God and his working. Our special guest this hour, Professor Rick Watts. And uh, Rick, we're just into our last part of our conversation here. If we're going to be able to adapt and have a new grammar of life, I imagine this comes down to how we are educating ourselves about the things of God and, uh, in -hmm. fact, uh, where, in fact, we decide to put uh, our our roots down and do some studies about how we're going to be an influence in our society. What are your thoughts about the the value of education when it comes to adapting and having a new grammar of life? Well, it seems to me that um, my reading of the Old Testament is one of the things that God was on about was taking a nation or forming a nation out of a group of slaves And that involved education. Uh, So I don't think it honors God when we don't actually develop our minds in ways that can understand what he's been doing and bring glory to him. Uh, It would seem to me that that, that's pretty much, I'm hoping, um, just ground zero. Everyone accepts that today. We we need to know our scriptures. We need to be educated. Uh, I think we also need to know our culture. And so when you're talking to somebody, you need to be able to use language that's not going to get in the road of what you're trying to say. Uh, so a number of years ago, I was working with a friend down in St. Kilda in Melbourne, two o'clock in the morning with homeless kids. Uh, my friend was trying to share the gospel. He said to this young man, we know God is like a father. And that's true. I mean, it runs throughout the scriptures. But I'll never forget this kid's response. His face just contorted with rage and anger. And he said, if he's anything like my Da, 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 old man, you can stick him up your certain part of anatomy, etc., etc. And he stormed off, right? And the point is, yes, God is a father, but not everyone has a good experience of fatherhood. So part of what the education is about is realizing there is a biblical truth, and I really do care about Scripture. I really do. I think it's astonishing, actually, for some of the reasons we've covered already in the last 30 minutes or so. But what you see Scripture doing is learning how to engage with its culture in a way that avoids unnecessary battles. There are some battles that have to be fought, really big ones. Creation is not divine. Change is a good thing. That's a big fight. But on the other hand, there are some other things you just kind of have to think about reframing the language so you know you actually end up um, not just winning a battle but winning the whole war, if you like. And that's where I think education can help, helping people learn to read their Bibles more effectively, 
and particularly how as educators um, to be able to realise that our job is actually to serve people. Uh, one of the dangers is, you, know, you see some of us as young people, we get educated and then we, we tend to get this sense of entitlement if we're not careful. We know better than other people and uh, I don't really want any of that in what we're doing at the college. The college doesn't want that. We're here to serve the church, not throw hand grenades at it. Huh? And that's what your education should be on about. It's all about ultimately bringing people into life and you only do that through service and love. So any kind of education that's not focused on service and grounded in love is a real problem for me. Okay, well, looking to a new crop of leaders coming through our Bible colleges. This is typically where our church leaders come from. They're formed, they're shaped by people like yourself, people who are lecturers and people who are bringing this cultural engagement. I imagine that there needs to be a new paradigm, not just in your own Bible college through Alpha Crucis as you're going to be stationed, but but all Bible colleges, I imagine, need to be looking at this whole issue of changing the grammar, changing the way we talk about yes. the truth of God. And, and that's something that for, for all leaders yeah i think so wow okay well i want to point people to the website for alpha crucis college ac.edu.au and there are campuses throughout capital cities around the nation and no doubt there'll be opportunities to study online too with alpha crucis college and uh, to to mention uh, uh, professor rick watts uh, joining Alpha Crucis, Professor of Biblical Studies, joining the team, and uh, I mentioned in the introduction earlier, uh, some are seeing it as something of a coup, that you're returning to Australia <laughs> and uh, coming back with with all of this. Uh, and you mentioned some of your colleagues at uh, Regent College in Vancouver oh, yes. in Canada, and uh, some of those names, when you did mention them, uh, uh, some will resonate with uh, some of the most significant commentators and scholars uh, that are uh, leading the the way right now, talking about the way things are changing and really starting to form that new grammar that you're talking about. So ac.edu.au. Let me just say where you can hear Professor Rick today and on Wednesday and on Saturday. Today in Perth, this afternoon, 3 p.m., Suite 3, 642, Albany Highway, Victoria Park. And on Wednesday in Hobart, a public forum at the Alpha Crucis Hobart campus at 45 Melville Street in Hobart. The topic Rick is talking about there, Christianity in the 21st century, the most Christian and the most confusing. And then in Brisbane on Saturday, the 10th of February, a deliberately provocative topic. He's going to be talking about the journey to rid ourselves of the prison of religious language and open up a broader, more accessible, more comprehensive vocabulary to both explore and express the wonders of God and his working. And uh, as we've been talking, the grammar of life. Uh, Rick Rick Watts, just wonderful having you on 2020 today. I want to say thank you very much for making your time available, for sharing your heart with us, and no doubt there'll be an opportunity sometime in the future to talk about another topic. Thanks for being with us today. And thank you, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.